Okay, so uh, let's go. Um, it's been a few weeks since we, we dealt with Hebrews, but uh, in the interim we had um, two amazing weeks with Greg and then with, uh, with Sid. And, and actually, you know what? Um, for me, the way they massaged the word into, you know, what we'd been preached, we'd been hammering Hebrews for a long time, and they just seemed to me to settle something. So it was, it was just an amazing way things uh, ended up with them preaching and then for us to now move on from what God has done for us into what we do for God. So I'm going to be talking about Hebrews 11 mainly today, but first you have to understand the basis of what happens before so that you can understand what God's trying to tell you. All right, so Hebrews is all about the supremacy of Christ, and we know that he is superior to the angels, superior to the prophets, superior to Moses and Aaron, a better temple and a better covenant. He's our high priest and perfect sacrifice, so therefore we have to respond to him in faithfulness, not faithlessness. And therefore we need to have a clear understanding of uh, what faith is. And since the kingdom of God was the central mission of Jesus, uh, it's important to put Hebrews in a framework of kingdom theology because the work of the cross and Pentecost brought in a new dimension, and that's called the kingdom of God. And we told in Hebrews that uh, we're receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let, uh, let us be thankful. And Gary and Louise have taught a lot about kingdom theology. Um, it's about the, the world that Jesus came into, um, and, and that world had a, a, a world view and certain expectations. A day would come when God would intervene again for Israel in a final moment that would end his history as we know it. That will be the end. Then a life totally at a new level would begin, um, and that would be called the age to come, and that would usher in a, a, a coming age. So history would change. Um, the age to come is also known as the Messianic age. And the prophets spoke of this day as the day of the Lord or that day. But when Jesus arrived, something uh, um, happened because he announced that that day had dawned. And the way he taught about it um, and about the kingdom had a sense of mystery, especially to the prophets um, of Israel at the time. And he spoke about it being near, present, delayed, and future. And the only way that we can explain it is to understand that something miraculous and unexpected uh, happened in Jesus at the cross with the outpouring of, of um, the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. There's a slide missing. Honest. Okay. All right. The power of the future age broke. I, I think we need this slide. So, um, yeah. Shall I go? That one. Okay. That one should be there. 
So the power of the future age broke through into the present and set up an altogether new dimension. Before this age has finally ended, the future age has already begun, resulting in an already and not yet dimension, where the coming of the kingdom in Jesus and Pentecost is already, but in the final sense, the coming of the kingdom is not yet. And the breakthrough of the kingdom was shown in the ministry of Jesus. Um, as he announced it, as he taught it, and as he demonstrated it on the cross, the resurrection and the ascension and the outpouring at Pentecost. All of that is evidence of the future breaking through into the present. Um, between the coming of the kingdom in Jesus, the already, and the final or, or the second coming, the not yet, is the time that we live in now as Christians. And around us is a world that lives really in one dimension. And this is the present age. But we experience Jesus and the life in the Spirit from a new dimension. And that is the future, the age to come, the eternal lived now, or the supernatural. They're all the same thing. And some of the implications of, of, of this is that uh, the end has come in Jesus. And therefore, and so, Jesus is God. It, the, and the second thing is that the last days begin with Jesus in Pentecost and continue till the very end. So the whole period from the first to the second coming is the last days. Um, the veil torn when Jesus dies means that the separation of the present age and the age to come has been opened. So the power and the presence of the future age are continually available to us as believers. We live in a dimension where the supernatural is always near present and future, and every aspect of the kingdom is available every time it breaks through. So every aspect of the kingdom is available every time it breaks through. So this is the framework for understanding the Christian life in the already but not yet. We already but not yet people. We have full access to the power and authority of the age to come or the supernatural. And really, if you think about it, that's our unfair advantage as, believe, as believers. It's incredible. And it's also the, the framework that we need to use to understand faith. So far, Hebrews has shown us what God has done for us. And, but now we're going to see that the only thing that we need to enjoy, the power and the blessings of the kingdom, is faith. The writer was talking to Jews at the time who had come to faith and they were being persecuted. Um, it would be far easier for them just to give up uh, and live a hassle-free life as they saw it in, in, in the old ways that they were pursuing. And I guess it's much like uh, what we faced with in the kingdom today, in the world today. Uh, it's easier just to tag along and do nothing, perhaps now. But we'll find out that... Uh, it's not the right thing to do. But the, same, but the theme of faith, faith, faithfulness through suffering uh, is closely connected with the key characteristics of real faith. Chapter 10 closed with a solemn lesson. There's no alternative but to be strong in faith. There's no way of pleasing God or staying in his, in his presence and favor. And the writer says, my righteous one will live by faith.
and I take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back. And here he's quoting Habakkuk uh, 2 verse 4 and follows the Septuagint or the, the, the Greek version of the Old Testament. So they understood that language. Um, but he leaves out my in front of faith, joining it to righteous one. My righteous one will live by faith, meaning our faith. But the most common Greek version had, my righteous one will live by my faith or God's faithfulness. What this means is that our faith is sustained by God's faithfulness. Amen. To the extent that we show faith and obedience towards God's promises, he'll be faithful to us. Derek Morphew says faith is man's response to grace. And chapter 10 ends with an encouragement saying, We do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but those who have faith and are saved. And this is actually a cue to the next chapter that tells us what faith really is in nature and action. Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. So clearly there are two basic ingredients in faith. Faith is about the future, what we hope for, and about the invisible, what we do not see, or the supernatural. Faith makes the future invisible world real in the present. We're able to pull the future by the Holy Spirit into the, into the present. So faith links two opposite poles. It takes the future as the invisible things, and it en enables us to see them right now. We develop such a strong conviction that we actually... Um, but that these things actually materialize in the present for us. It's, faith is totally looking forward. The breakthrough of the kingdom makes the future become tangible in the present. Every promise of God is the same. Believing his word brings the visible out of the invisible. Every promise of God is the same. Believing his word brings the visible out of the invisible. It's being sure that what God says is, is utterly trustworthy, both in the salvation message and in the guiding of us through the Holy Spirit. I, I love what Andrew Murray says. He says, faith is the spiritual faculty of the soul which deals with the spiritual realities of the future and the unseen. Um, Louise has, has spoken about eternity as the spiritual or unseen realm um, that we exist in, uh, the already or, or not yet, some weeks ago in your preach. Um, think about it. We communicate with our physical universe through our, our senses. We see, we smell, we, we taste and touch to, to understand the physical realities around us. But faith is our spiritual sense or organ through which our souls encounter and are affected by the spiritual world. So seeing or hearing is a dormant power until the reality of light or sound strikes them. Uh, but and equally, faith is a sense with no power beyond the possibility or capability of receiving the impression of the eternal. So it's got no power unless you use it. It's like an empty vessel that wants to be filled with unseen contents. Faith allows you to step out of the already dimension into the not yet. 
It's only when the eternal realities draw near and exercise their power that faith becomes and is the substance of things hoped for, the foundation that they lay uh, in our souls, the proof or conviction of things unseen, the convincing power with which they give evidence and the proof of their own supernatural um, existence. The Holy Spirit convicts or convinces us of a truth and the conviction or belief in our hearts comes when we submit and allow ourselves to be convinced. Um, like the day we became believers. The invisible takes the initiative and wakens faith. Faith receives the impression and seeks forever fuller union with it. So we, we need to know very deeply that faith is not only dealing with certain promises, but a continuous spiritual intercourse with the unseen world around us. <clears throat> Faith must in the spiritual life be as natural as our breathing and seeing when we are doing things in our ordinary day-to-day -day life. And this is what the ancients were commended for. The writer talks about the power of faith to bring uh, approval. He's thinking of people that he's about to, to um, mention in the rest of the chapter, Abel, Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abram, Sarah, and so on. All of them faced disapproval. Um, and some even murder. Yet God said to them, well done. He said to each of them, well done. It was their persistent work of faith being uh, rewarded for their good works. Or to quote Gary, doing God's will God's way. Also eventually each of them received approval from God's people. But the greatest example of, of faith is not with what the ancients did for God, but it's God's creation. Sid spoke about this last week. He spoke a rhema word, and something came out of nothing, and they understood that the universe was formed at God's, con um, at God's command, so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. The word of God brought visible, the visible out of the invisible. And of course, quantum physics proves that words matter. In fact, words are matter. And we can preach about that or talk about that. In fact, I have. Yeah. Hebrews 11 talks mostly about the things that people did for God. For example, by faith, Abel pioneered the sacrificial system. By faith, Enoch demonstrated God's power over death. By faith, Noah rescued people from judgment and so on. But here before things that people did, Faith in creation is mentioned. Why is that? It's because our faith in creation displays the very heart of what faith is. And um, Sid spoke about that last week. No one witnessed creation. Think about it. The human race came into being as the last of the created uh, items in, in Genesis. Man had no share in making anything. So there's really only one way that we can can know about creation, and that's that God has to tell us. Creation is a fact. We simply believe what God says. There's no greater demonstration of what faith is as our faith in creation. And that means that God is able to do anything. And our faith goes on being faith in creation. In every situation, we believe that by nothing except his own power, God can bring about what he promises. <clears throat> God says it, and we believe it. 
It's the same faith that we have when we believe God has created everything around us. The same faith is no different. So there are about 20 characters mentioned in Hebrews, and they all triumphed over what seemed to be defeat. But two things are important. Um, first, we don't really know how these people came to their first faith. Abel already had saving faith when he expressed his faith in, the animal, in animal sacrifice, and Enoch already had saving faith when he went to God without dying. So they had saving faith before um, we, we read about what they do, do, did in their actions. Hebrews 11 focus on the works of faith um, after the first salvation of these people. And this is exactly what the writer wants to say. By faith and patience, believers are to take part in carrying forward the kingdom of God. Secondly, these people all did something that had never been done before. And uh, what they did was never ever done again. No one built an ark in precisely the same way as Noah did. And no, no one ever had to do it again. And no one ever destroyed a city by marching around it and blowing trumpets before um, Joshua. And no one ever had to do it again. So clearly then God has a personal, uh, the point is that God has a personal and individual plan for our lives that is different to, to the detail and calling of anyone else. It's unique. And Abel, for example, founded the sacrificial system. By faith, Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain did. Through this, he received testimony from God that he was righteous. God gave testimony about his gifts, and through this, although he has died, he still speaks. And many of the ingredients of faith are found right here in Abel's life. Abel apparently got the idea of being righteous before God by blood sacrifice from God himself. Because if we can remember, God had sacrificed an animal, animal to clothe Adam and Eve in Genesis, Genesis 3.21. Secondly, faith is based on God's word. Cain's sacrifice seemed to have been his own idea based on how much work he did as a farmer by the sweat of his, his brow or his dead works, in, in, in fact. But Abel did God's will. Uh, what he did was the beginning of the sacrificial system to make a point that God can only be approached by death of a substitute. And this sacrifice points to Christ. And he achieved something for God that uh, lasted beyond his lifetime. His faith and message are still relevant for us today. So God in effect said, well done to Abel. He entered into rest and, he re and received a, a reward for his faith. Enoch demonstrated God's power over death. By faith, Enoch was taken from his life so that he might not experience death. And he could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he's been taken up, he received testimony that he had pleased God. So what's interesting actually at this point is the writer doesn't just follow the Old Testament, because this, is, this follows the sequence of, of the Old Testament heroes of our faith. But he doesn't only follow that, uh, those events, but there's also logic in the top topics, if you think about it, because Christian faith is first faith in creation, 
Then it's faith in the blood of the Lamb. And then it's faith in God's power over death. The ingredients of persistent faith are, are seen in Enoch. At the, at the time of his being taken into heaven, he already had faith. He, he'd been walking with God. God promised Enoch that he would not die. And by persistence in faith, that's how it turned out. He achieved something for the kingdom of God. He demonstrated that God has power over death. And faith was assurance for Enoch. Um, he lived with a God-given conviction that he pleased God. Even before the days of the outpouring of the Spirit, the Spirit gave him witness. And he was a child of, <clears throat> of God and was pleasing to God. He too entered into rest. Then the writer adds a remark to learn from those examples that without faith, it's impossible to please God. For whoever comes to God must believe that he is there and that he is a rewarder of those who seek, seek him. And this, this actually emphasizes and talks about continuing faith. Without persistence in faith, God will not be pleased with us. And early in the, in the prayer meeting, um, we heard about the, the fear of God. So be faithful. Pass off. Yeah. Again, the point is that we must draw near to God. Faith is, in this situation involves two things. We must believe that God is there because in adversities, it sometimes feels to us that God is nowhere. And secondly, we must also believe that there's a reward in heaven for us. It's a very, very strong statement about rewards. And anyone who doesn't believe in a reward is to some extent displeasing to God. Because he said it, yeah. I spent about 14 years of my working career with a Finnish mining company. And after being approached by a headhunter, lots of prayer, and many divine events. I accepted the job because Anita and I knew it was from God. The company provided technology and equipment to the metallurgical industry, and they were uh, represented in South Africa by a local agent, but they wanted to start their own office in Africa and break ties with them. I was given that job. But their technology wasn't protected by patents. Um, so, you know, often you're not told everything about the job when you take a new job. So, of course, the agent rebranded his stuff and overnight became our biggest competitor. And they had a huge advantage because uh, also, you know, they knew the customers. The customers didn't know us, didn't have trust in the people that were now um, selling this technology. And why, why should they? So they didn't give us too much support anyway. So we had magnificent technology, but it was unprotected. We had no manufacturing drawings, no manufacturers, and no loyal customers. And uh, that's the side of the job that I wasn't told about. It was a total mess, total mess. And of course, I started feeling very sorry for myself. <laughs> but I had a midwife. <laughs> Then I found out that the Finn's corporate balance sheet was also in poor shape. You know, that was another big surprise. They had big turnovers and no profits. 
these guys just like flying all over the world. <laughs> and they, would, they weren't able to, to throw money at our problem. And, 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 and they had their own expectations for us as well. They really were doing us a favor by setting us up in their office. And they're tough guys, and they're demanding people, but they have deep pockets and really short arms. <laughs> so, so where do you start? I knew God's promise. There was no real road back for me for a number of reasons, and, and, and one of the most prominent ones was my pride. You know, I'd just given up a good job because I'm going to a better job. And uh, so I guess uh, that also needed and got attention. It's not easy to have faith when you've punched in the throat or you feel like uh, you've punched in the throat at every corner. You actually lose motivation to have anything. And I learned a lesson in business there that, uh, that you don't read in textbooks. You, you hurt. You really hurt. Books don't give you the feelings that the real situation does. And I, and I know I've spoken. I know a lot of the business people here. It's true. I'd often wake up at night in a cold sweat thinking, what am I doing here? I'd stepped out of a, a comfortable job uh, into what was supposed to be a blessing because it was God's word. At least I thought it should be a blessing. But through all of this, we had a, I had a clear picture and Anita had a quick, clear picture that we were going to be successful God had given us the business. And my life was a dichotomy. I, I, I had a vision of the promise, but there was the reality of the moment. I remember saying to someone that, you know, I wish I, I could just go to sleep for two years or three years and pick, and pick up and run the business from that point. Such was my confidence in the promise, but the pain of the present. But... I learned the secret of, of perseverance. Fight now, throw all your efforts into what you're doing and focus on God's word. It, it, it often feels far away, but focus on the word that God has for you. And if you stand still, for sure, you'll start feeling sorry for yourself and you'll kill yourself and everyone around you, all the stuffs that you've got. And slowly we gained the trust of our customers I stopped paying royalties to the Finns and used that money to, stay, to sustain our business growth. And that was also an interesting battle. But I reckoned a, 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 principle, a kingdom principle was that possession was nine-tenths <laughs> of the law anyway. And we, we stuck to the law. But we worked hard. We broke the lies of, of our best people were those that, that worked long, hard hours. Obviously, you have to work long, hard hours from time to time. But we always questioned the reason for people working long, long, hard hours. Was it incompetence or lack of resources or maybe some sort of escape? Some people escape from home to get to work and they just sit there doing the square root of nothing. <laughs> I gave my staff gym memberships and let them work out during work office uh, hours, and we actually stopped clock watching. There was no such thing as work hours, just work. And as we grew and prospered, prospered <laughs> the Finns became more and more interested in our office and in helping us. And South Africa became a very, very attractive business destination for them. Um, 
uh, and, and, and they were full of advice. Our fathers in head office came out and offered us all sorts of advice before the safari and the South African sun in their winters. But we're no real help. Eventually, we, as a business, outperformed other well-established ones around the world, and our company grew into a four billion rand company. And looking back now, I feel, you know, guilty about having such little faith. I suppose the faith of the proverbial mustard seed. But God worked with that. Hebrews has shown us that salvation opens the way for inheritance. And faith is the exact counterpart to the nature of the kingdom. The kingdom of God is the power of the future rule. Yeah. Sorry. The kingdom of God is the power of the future rule, of God breaking into the present through Jesus and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. We can say then that according to Hebrews, the people of faith live in the already and not yet. The righteous are those who believe the promise of the future despite the persecutions of the present. They persevere. They're people of the kingdom. They're people of faith. Faith relates to God's word and God's character. It's believing God in such a way that we have a deep and gripping assurance that what God promises will indeed happen. We believe that God is willing and able to keep his promises. Faith is the key to God's, to life, to the life of, of, of us, God's saints. Gary often says faith is the currency of the kingdom. We people, we become people of the faith by hearing the call of Christ through the Holy Spirit, believing the word in our hearts, repenting, and pursuing God's will or purpose on our lives. There's only one real way to come to, to, to faith, and we know that, and that's through Christ and Christ alone. Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He calls us to come to him in the midst of trouble. There we go. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And we know that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Church, you know what Jesus really wants? He wants you. Tina Zonke. All of us. Let's be those who put our faith in him.